welcome to the sanctuary a safe space to speak from the heart i'm your host israel and my guest today super talented on the ones and twos dj killer joel thanks for coming to the sanctuary today thank you so much for having me and uh congratulations on um sagittarius right that's the that's all right Listen to it, uh, love it, and I can't wait to get into it. But first off, like I've seen your videos on YouTube over the years, and something that stands out for me is like the consistency at which you've been there, you know, with your craft. How did you get into it, and what keeps you going so mm-hmm. many years after you started? So I got into DJing about 25 years ago, and prior to becoming a DJ, I, when I was a kid, actually, I took about 10 years of classical piano. So I already had like a musical background and, and I always had like, um, sort of, uh, uh, like a pull towards music and art. So I was always like the creative type. Mm. And then, um, I think like, at the end of high school, I would say when I met my first boyfriend, um, DJ Mana, he had been a DJ for a number of years. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the craziest, the coolest thing I've ever seen. And of course, you know, you're young and you just, you know, you're in a sort of a stage of self-discovery. And um, I think all of a sudden discovering these new styles of music that I had never heard before and just the the act and the art form of DJing was something that was so new to me. Um, and he and I, he was an amazing teacher. You know, we're still great friends to this day. Um, I consider him like my sensei, you know, like he was the master. He was the one that introduced me to um, to, to DJing, how to mix. And, and then we would practice like three to six hours a day. It was crazy how much time we would put into it. And it um, it became like almost like my life in a way. That's all I wanted to do. So, you know, slowly but surely, I started understanding the concepts of like how to beat match and how to, you know, mix one record into another. And um, along the way, of course, I'm discovering new music and new artists. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that, you know, I could probably make this I guess not a living I mean you know it's hard to make a living in any type of art form but I could Mm. really see myself doing this for a long time because I felt so passionate about it and Mm -hmm. uh, we would start playing like house parties uh, back in the day and like he had a residency at Gert's pub (laughs) in McGill you know and it just starts with these small little you know um, little bar gigs and and house parties like through friends and word of mouth and the next thing you know like we that that's just what we were doing and and we were playing actual vinyl so you know bringing our crates um, to to everywhere we went and um, I just totally fell in love with it and you know you meet people like when you're doing something so often you just you tend to meet people in the scene and you become friends with them and you, you learn from them. And that's really um, how I got into scratching because um, scratching comes from hip hop, of course. And when we were um, 
when he was first teaching me how to how to DJ, we were playing house and techno and drum and bass and break beats. We were very focused on more of a dance uh, music style of of, uh, of music, and um, trip hop was you know basically what introduced me to hip hop as as a genre of uh, of music. And um, you know we discovered DJ Qbert and um, he was putting out uh, like instructional videos at the time on like VHS cassettes. So oh boy, <laughs> back back <laughs> day, like this is <laughs> a while ago, and this is yeah. how we would learn because we didn't have YouTube and yep. we didn't we didn't have social media, right? So the way that we would learn from one another was either to physically be in the same room, or um, you know through through instructional VHS cassettes and and DVDs and this is how I first started getting into scratching and turntablism and that whole world and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that like, cause I knew it from the scratching. So I didn't even know, like, I thought that's all you always did. I didn't even know you came from dance and like, personally, I love music. I listen to pretty much all genre and like dance. I, I, I lived in South Africa for a while and dance music is like big, 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 big there. Mm. Um, house too. So, um, you mentioned something. Yeah. I didn't know what is beat matching. So beat matching is when you take two songs, like what you see DJs doing in, in the club all the time is taking two songs that are not of the same BPM or they're not the same tempo and matching them so that you can mix them properly. Because if you have a song that's this speed and a song that's this speed and you try to match their temp and you try to like mix them without matching their tempo first, you get what's called a train wreck, <laughs> which is not something you want to aim for. Yeah, yeah. A DJ set. So beat matching is basically just taking two tracks and, and mixing them in together seamlessly. Mm, yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. So um, and you've been doing it for years now, but like, you're passionate about it clearly but i what what keeps you going 20 25 years after like you're still doing you're still practicing you're still putting in the work yeah so i think i've always had a dream and sort of a long-term goal of becoming a music producer mm. and i feel like everything that i learned over the years as a dj um, in the industry, uh, both artistically and professionally, like in a business sense too, I mm -hmm. think it all created, it set the stage for Kilojoule as a producer. And this has always been a dream. I think it was a natural progression for me. Mm -hmm. um, some, some people go from being a producer to being a DJ, but I, I went the opposite way. Um, and I always, like, I loved, I loved DJing in a sense that, you know, you're playing music for people, you're creating a vibe, like you're, you know, people are, you're creating like an environment for people to feel something, you know? And I always wanted to be an artist as well, who creates the actual music 
you know, that people are feeling and not just somebody who plays other people's music. Um, you know, so, so this has always been a goal of mine and mm. I think it's just really taken me this long to figure out how to get there. <laughs> so, so re- that's the reality, right? Like if, you know, some people, you know, aren't, aren't fortunate enough to know what they want to do, like, you know, for their whole life, you know, mm. 20 years down the road, 10 years down the road. But I definitely knew in my mind that this is what I wanted to do. And it took a long time to figure out, especially as an independent artist, mm. what I need to do and what kind of work I need to put in to get to that point. Mm. You know, it's, it's really, um, I'm still navigating it and I'm still, you know, trying to figure it out. But this year was a, a big sort of momentous year and it was a big milestone for me because I, um, I did land a record deal with Hydrophonic Records, which is a subsidiary of Indica Records here in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And they, um, you know, just so happened the timing, I guess, worked out and they were looking to develop their hip hop uh, roster. And I had a demo that over COVID I was able to put, you know, to focus my time in because there really were no DJ gigs. So I was able to really just be in the studio, create music and focus on shopping this demo around. Mm. And I was super lucky you know, I think the timing was right. And, and it's all about timing. You as an mm. artist has to be ready. You know, you have to, you have to have experienced a certain amount of, you know, stuff in your career to be able to, to get to a point where you're ready yeah. to, you know, sign on and work with a, a team and in a professional kind of way. Mm. And they have to be ready to, you know, have another artist, accept another artist. <laughs> Yeah. Well, first off, congrats on the deal with Hydrophonic. And uh, that led to Sagittarius. We'll still get to that. While you were talking, you mentioned COVID. The last, what, 18, whatever months have been difficult for the entire world, right? I remember um, I'd just come back from a conference and I was getting ready to go for another one. And then the world just shut down. It just shut down and there was nothing to do. And how was like the beginning of COVID for you as an artist, as an artist, as a DJ mm. that actually does live gigs? And how did you handle the um, the last 18 months since? So um, I think, of course, in the beginning, like everybody else, I was a little bit in shock. <laughs> like, you know, we all couldn't believe what was happening and it was pretty scary. Um, then as time passed and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm the type of person who kind of looks at the, the bright side of things, mm. <laughs> sometimes maybe a little too much, <laughs> but I was like, you know what, I'm going to look at the positive, if there's any positive side of what I can do, you know, how I can be productive during this time. Uh, being that, as you said, there are no gigs and it's a very difficult time for artists. And mm. um, I was lucky enough that I already work from home. So this is my home studio. 
um, that wasn't a huge shift for me. And I know for a lot of people, um, their work situation just, you know, completely <laughs> changed and, and turned upside down. So mm. I didn't have that. And I realized this was a good opportunity for me, as I said, to focus on my production. Because when I have a bunch of actual live DJ gigs, then of course I'm working on, you know, creating a set and I'm putting my time and energy into that. So I think COVID allowed me just to like take a step back for a second and realize, you know, what I wanted to focus on. And that was, you know, getting this demo ready and starting to shop it around, even with the uncertainty of, you know, <laughs> everything else. So mm. I kind of took it in stride. And um, I actually happened to manage to, I, I happened to land a TV show here in Montreal during that time. Um, it was called La Fin des Febles. And it was, um, it's a TV show for uh, French rappers. It's a, mm. it's a battle. So it's, it was on Tele-Québec. Um, it was an amazing opportunity for me, you know, as a DJ, being that they needed a DJ on screen, like on the floor. Mm. And, um, and that was completely unexpected as well. So I was happy to land that project and I'm doing the second season this year. So sweet. So like as a DJ on the show, do you decide what uh, instrumentals the rappers battle with or was that up to the rappers themselves? Um, so basically I was given a library of music to choose from. And this library consisted of, original productions from local producers. Oh. So that was super cool in that it it gave an opportunity for artists even who weren't on the show to at least have their music mm. like placed and and played on television and that's good money <laughs> for yeah. for for artists, right? So mm. um so it was really a, a strong local effort and the show turned out great. Um it uh, it really showcased some young up and coming MCs mm. um, in the French scene, and um, and it was uh, I think it was a success, and I'm really like excited to <laughs> do the second season actually. <laughs> uh yo i'm wondering like um shooting through COVID, you had to do like crazy COVID protocols and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. How was that experience? So I was kind of, I was pretty nervous actually, because it was, we weren't, nobody was vaccinated yet. So it was the first time that I was putting myself in a situation where I was in a closed room. I mean, it's a big room, but it's still a room with like a lot of people. Um, and, but they did an amazing job. Nobody got sick. And I can say that now because it's in the past. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> nobody got sick. You know, there were strict measures in place. We we had to sign a waiver every day before we went to the studio saying we were feeling no symptoms. Everyone wore a mask until we got into position. Yeah. And then when you're in position, you don't move. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so basically, you know, it was long days. Like the shooting days were sometimes ten to twelve hours. Yeah. And um, you know, I give I give it to the crew because they were like masked the whole time. Oh, true. And yeah. It's, it's uh, it you know it turned out great, and because we also had a curfew, right? So mm. we had to have a letter from the production if we got stopped. By the cops oh. on the way home at like 1 a.m. Yeah, that, um, that we were, you know, coming from work. So, luckily, the entertainment industry was still allowed to, you know, be producing content because, of course, everybody's just sitting at home watching TV. <laughs> right, right. So, so it was good news for those people producing the content because we could still get to work. Mm. Okay, so one one of the things I love about your YouTube videos is, you know, it's more like a stream and it's something that most DJs started doing during COVID, but like you've been doing forever now. How do you decide, like, do you already kind of have a set you're going to play for when you want to record or is it, because sometimes it's just like you're playing and it's like, oh, wait, I want to play this thing. Is it that you already have a set or is it on the spot? You kind of decide what to play. Um, you're talking about like my my two-minute videos that I post on Instagram. Yeah. Every single thing I do is pretty much planned. <laughs> so it takes a lot of time and energy actually to um, to put together like a set because I don't know if it's because I'm a perfectionist <laughs> but I I tend to keep like a running list of ideas and anytime mm. I'm like okay it's time I make another video I go back to that list and I'm like what do I feel inspired to to do today so you know let's say you know I had um I had that Nirvana um smells like teen spirit uh you know showcase video and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really in like a grunge mood right now. <laughs> so I would sit there and spend some time like figuring out how I'm going to do it, what I'm going to do, how long it's going to be. I practice it. And then I have to technically set everything up because I'm recording everything on my GoPro. So I taught myself how to like, how to do all of this. How do I get the audio into the camera? And then how do I get the video from the camera to my computer? How do I edit the video? <laughs> you know, yeah. every, every single thing has required like an enormous amount of effort considering I'm not a video person, but I guess just through, you know, watching YouTube videos and, and figuring it out myself, I've managed to, and like the two camera angles now, right? I thought, mm. wow, that was super cool. I, you know, be so interesting to have like two angles instead of just one. So, yeah. you know, editing my takes and putting it all together, it's like a whole production, <laughs> which is why I don't do it every day. And I wish I could, I wish I did have the time to just focus on that and like put a new video out every week. But, you know, there's so much going on right now. <laughs> Okay, so I got to ask, right, um, <clears throat> you talked about VHS and watching these things, and I'm thinking, you know, you kind of started with vinyl, 
Uh, mm-hmm. And then, what was it called? CDJ, you know, like the CDJ thing came. But like in the last, I don't know, five, in like maybe the last seven to eight years, vinyl is being cool again, right? Um, what would you say is, or what do you think, or what would be your idea behind that resurgence of vinyl these days? Well, I mean, I, I think everything just like fashion or just like, just like anything, pretty much things come back around. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I haven't collected vinyl in a very long time. And when I used to travel a lot, I would seek out you know, different record stores in whatever city that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I would make it a mission to go digging. And just anytime I, I've done that, it's just, uh, it brings me back to when I first started, you know, it's like the physical, like going through the records, getting your hands dirty, mm. like feeling the vinyl, touching it, putting it on the rec- on the on the record player um, and listening to it, putting the headphones on and, I would do that, um, you know, I would spend like hundreds of dollars sometimes every week. Um, I was just obsessed. And then, of course, as you said, you know, um, everything became digitized. And in a sense, when technology started to, you know, take over the art form, it really created um, an ability for more people to discover um, DJing in a sense, because it became more accessible. Um, Mm. You know, it's still, it's not, it's not an inexpensive hobby. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, it's, if you, if you have a computer now, you can basically, you know, for a couple of hundred bucks, you can get yourself a controller and all of your music is, you know, in MP3s on your computer. So there are other ways now to discover music. So it's a, it's a completely different way to experience music, I think, and, and to discover it. But I think, you know, the fact that vinyl, as you said, is, you know, becoming more of a, a popular thing and coming more mainstream again it's just a testament mm. to you know how how crazy and cool of an experience it is to you know to have it and to to dig for it and to experience it mm. basically mm. that's super <laughs> true okay so i gotta ask this um like can you do the scratching on just any record player or like, is there a special thing you guys have for your own record player that mm. does that stuff? So, so basically when I'm using Serato, which is, um, which is a, a, a virtual sort of DJ software, I'm still using a vinyl. This is a vinyl. So for all intents and purposes, this is a vinyl like any other vinyl you find in my record shelf. However, yeah. when you put the needle on the record and you put it into the phono input, which is the input you would usually use to play a record, all you get is a time code and it sounds like <laughs> And that time code is what tells the computer where in the song you are. So if you put the 
needle, even though there's nothing printed on this record except for time code, um, if you put the needle here, the computer will know that you're, you know, at 35 seconds into the track and then you're at 45 seconds into the track. So mm. that's how it knows. And it's really cool because I can be like, okay, I want, um, I want to play my first track on this side and I want to play my other track on that side. And, and then when I'm finished playing that track, I'm going to select another track to play on that side. So you can basically choose, you know, what song you want to play on which side without ever having to take the needle off the record mm. or the record off the turntable. And that has created like so many options for creativity as a scratch DJ and, and uh, as a turntablist, you can, you know, you can create your own sounds. Like if you have a microphone, um, which I do, you can sing into the microphone, record that, export that, put it into Serato and then scratch your voice. Oh, all in a matter of minutes. Wow. So there are definitely, um, you know, a lot more creative options when it comes to using a digital interface as opposed to regular vinyl. Mm. But, you know, when I teach, I sometimes I, I have students and, um, and I teach them how to DJ and I tell them, you know, DJing has become much easier in a sense because now you can see the waveform going on the screen as opposed to not having a visual reference when you're using a regular vinyl. Mm. So I, I try to train my students to listen first with their ears before they use their eyes. Oh. And that really, and that, because that's how I learned. And I feel like even though it's a, a more difficult way to learn, if you can, you know, if you can master that first, Mm. then you'll never need all these these crutches basically that a digital interface provides you with right you won't need mm. the same button you won't need it to mix for you because yeah. you really know how to dj yourself mm. 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 so i didn't even know you teach um why did you decide to teach um, well, over the years, I mean, I, I stopped for a while and I'm, I'm deciding to start up again um, just to give back to the community. And a few years ago, um, a friend of mine, DJ Manzo here in Montreal, we decided to start uh, what is called Sunday Scratch Sessions, which is a monthly um, sort of jam se session for uh, people who either want to be DJs, who are curious about it, or people who are experienced and have been doing it for years. And it's really like a safe place to just share ideas. Mm. And just like, you know, when I started, we actually get together in, in a space and we bring our gear, we hook it up and we just jam and, and, and scratch and, you know, teach each other new things and just have a good time. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's just about, you know, continuing to teach the next generation, hmm. I guess, because it's important to keep the art form alive. And, um, and yeah, that's really why I do it. I mean, I'm, I'm super busy, but every once in a while I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take on another student. <laughs> you should take me on. Cause I think that's <laughs> one thing I want to learn for next year. Like I love music. 
and I've always been fascinated with it. But like, I guess I just, you know, I have friends that do it and I'm like, yeah, man, asking someone to kind of put in that time. Cause I think it's a lot of effort, right? I'm going to start from zero. I don't know what is what Serato, I guess it's like an app, right? Wait, but is it so Serato, but like, is, is it like an, like a physical thing? It's, um, it's a program on your computer that you download that you pay mm-hmm. for and um and yeah you just open it like any other program and as long as you have the hardware connected which is you know your mixer or um you know whatever controller you're using then it it sort of automatically connects and you know you're all set up you have to have like a speakers and you have to have an audio interface um, to be be able to run the audio through. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, I remember when I started DJing, even just learning what the volume knob did on the mixer, like, <laughs> like having to remember what the crossfader did and what the upfader did and the EQs, like, oh my God, I was so stressed out. And I remember just being so nervous like yeah. putting the needle on the record, like my hand would shake and I would drop the needle and I it would <laughs> it was a disaster. So there's just so much to learn and to understand about audio, but I've always been so passionate about it. And mm. I'm just like a sponge. I'm I'm constantly just trying to figure stuff out that I don't know. <laughs> mm. And mm. help other people figure it out too. And I love explaining this stuff. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, if you are, you know, ever thinking of opening up, it's something I definitely want to. So when you say controller, that's kind of like the physical thing I'm thinking of. Because like I've seen things that has like Serato written on it, but it kind of looks like a DJ's spinning thing, right? That's it. So I, my preference is two turntables and a mixer. Other people's preference is a controller, which is basically just one piece of equipment that you have the that has the mixer and the turntables or or CDJs all in one. Mm. And these are typically like more affordable for people especially starting out. You don't really need all of the fancy like effects and and all that. So um and effects like they come in the software anyways. So you don't need to spend thousands of dollars if you just want to get into it to see if you even like it. Mm. Yeah. But like behind you, there's so many like yeah, it's like when you watch your videos, you're always pressing things. It's like you're inside a spaceship. Um, what are some of the gear you use when you're making music? So that's a great question. So um, recently, because I just released my record and I had my record launch, um, I was practicing my live show. And so when you're one single musician trying to perform an entire song by yourself, a lot of work and preparation goes into even just figuring out, okay, what parts am I going to play versus what parts are going to be in the backing track? Right. Mm. So that's something you have to kind of figure out when you're first starting to make a live performance. Um, because I'm a piano player, I, I typically, you know, 
like keys are important and also pads because the pads like if I'm triggering a, a drum loop and I'm recording a drum loop I need to have access to pads um, this is my push two, which basically controls what's playing from Ableton and Ableton Live is the program I use to produce my music. So mm. Ableton Live also enables you as an artist to perform your music live. And these buttons basically trigger whatever I want them to play. <laughs> so if oh, so like in Ableton, you can be like, this button number one is going to be like the kick and this one is going to be like the horn exactly. and this is going to yeah. be like the snare. Like this is my piano track over here, and this plays the piano in the introduction, this plays the piano in the verse, this plays the piano in the chorus. So, and I can say, oh, I don't want the piano to play anymore in the chorus. I press the button again, and it stops playing the piano in the chorus. So there's so many things you can do with just mm. a couple of different controllers, and mm. the, the, the work really comes into number one, um, building the live version of your song mm. and then practicing so you know everything seamlessly. Yep, and yep. Because when you get on stage, it's like <laughs> you just want everything, <laughs> to go, you want everything to go well. And, and yeah, I was so, so nervous. <laughs> when, you, when you have a show coming up, um, like how long do you prepare before your show? Oh, I think, um, like, I want to say I'm just thinking of my record launch, which was on October 22nd. So I actually had um, a show at Pop Montreal three weeks before my record launch. And that was the first time I ever played my own music live. So to me, mm. it was great to have that opportunity right before my record launch to really see what I needed to change and what worked and what didn't work. Um, but typically I, I would say I had been working on the live versions of these songs for maybe like a good six to eight months. Mm. So, mm. you know, if I'm, I'd say typically it takes about two to three weeks to say, okay, I'm going to take this song, create a live version and then it'll take me another two to three weeks to really refine it, to make it how I want. Mm. And then, you know, practice is, <laughs> the more you can practice, the better. So I like to give myself at least, at least two to three weeks to even get practicing, to get comfortable um, learning it. And the problem is that if you have too much time in between shows, then you start forgetting oh. what you did. So it's almost like it's good every once in a while to go back and play it and just remind yourself what you were doing so you're not guessing. So when you say what works and what doesn't work, in what way? So that's a really good question. So my first, uh, my show at Pop Montreal was actually an outdoor show and it was during the day. And what I didn't know at the time was that in daylight, 
I cannot see any of the lights. Oops, are you there? Yeah. In daylight, I cannot see any of the lights on my push two. Oh. So I was like this, trying <laughs> to see where my cues were, and um, and I had about five false starts. <laughs> so oh, no. This is like it was a it was a great learning experience, and I'll definitely mm. chalk it up to that. Um, you know, for all the stuff I'm doing on the turntables, I can do that with my eyes closed on any day, mm. and and that went great. So it was really the stuff that I was triggering on the push that mm. um, that I'm like, okay, I need to figure out for next time I have a show outside during the day. I need to figure out a solution to that. And there's always something like I've had shows where my, my needles just stop working. Oh, wow. And so I have my backup needles right next to me just in case. And I have backup records and I have backup hard drives. And <laughs> there's, you just have to come to expect that something is going to go wrong. Mm. You just don't know what. <laughs> you know, um, so a couple of years ago, I think it was during the Grammy Awards, I think. Uh, Daft Punk and Kanye West had this performance of Stronger, mm. and it's like one of like I'm a like I love Daft Punk, and their live shows are always crazy, but like you know they just walk on kind of that push thing like that's where everything they're playing is. So I think you know just hearing you say what <laughs> the amount of work goes into that. I'm like, when a DJ is out there playing a set that's more than 10, 20, 30 minutes, that's a ton of work. It's a ton of work. Yeah, it's um, it's an incredible amount of work, but I absolutely love, like, I'm obsessed with it. So mm. it's good that I'm obsessed with it because otherwise it would be too much work for somebody who didn't love to do it. <laughs> but... <laughs> For me, like the whole fun is just in figuring out how to do it. You know, like mm. I've always been that kind of person. I just, I love reading manuals. I love, you know, going onto YouTube and watching instructional videos and just figuring stuff out. And I, I love when there's a problem because then it gives me an opportunity to figure out how to fix it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I want to learn DJing. You've been doing this for 25 years and you're still learning. It's like, oh my God, there's so much to take in. But oh, let's talk about Sagittarius, right? Um, you put in all this work. You got the deal with Hydrophonic. Like, did you have an idea of this album, like what you wanted to do with it? Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, I think, you know, most people know me, I, I come from an underground old school hip hop, uh, world. And, um, most people know me as a turntablist. Not a lot of people know me as an electronic music producer. And when I started using, um, Ableton and like basically my digital interface to produce music, my sound changed completely. So the first record that I, I made was on an MPC 2000, which is like, you know, a drum machine from the eighties. And, and that, because the process is different in a way, you don't have as many options and effects at your disposal when using uh, an MPC. 
Um, and also because I was sampling from vinyl and I wasn't creating a lot of the sounds on my own. Mm. Um, it really changed the feeling of the music I was producing. And um, so Sagittarius is, and even Reckless, which was the EP that came out the year before in 2020, mm. those, um, these records are really sort of a, a reflection of the technology that I was using to create the music. And mm. I feel like my sound just became a lot more electronic and um, and with Sagittarius, I wanted to sort of bridge the gap between electronic and trap <laughs> sounding music and turntablism, which is what people know me more for. Mm. And I, I, I feel like I found a way to sort of take both worlds and kind of, you know, marry them together in a sense. One thing, one thing that, you know, when I go to a track list, especially of a DJ and it's instrumental, I always wonder, how do you come up with the title for the beat? Because it's pretty much just a beat. Like, there's no lyrics to the song except the one, uh, your first single on Sagittarius. Um, like, but how do you decide, okay, I'm making this beat, I'm scratching here, I'm putting these sounds here. This is what I'm going to call this song, you know? Yeah. So for me, actually, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I typically, when I first name a session in my, like if I'm working on something and I'm like, okay, I need to save it. What am I going to save it as? I typically name it either like the name of an instrument or a plugin that I'm using in the, in the session. Mm. So for example, I'm trying to think what, like, Pixstar, Pixstar must have been named after, um, like a sample that I have looping in there. Mm. Um, I can't remember specifically what it was, but that's how I kind of come up with these ideas. I just, you know, you sort of, <laughs> you take from what you have and, but most of the time that's what I do. And then if the, if the title works with the overall concept of the record when I'm ready to put it out, then I keep it. Mm. If not, then I'll change it. Like without you came about because I just started singing those lyrics over it. And I'm like, well, it's a no brainer. I'll just call the song without you. Like are people or were people surprised to find out that you actually sing? Yes. and and it took a lot for me as an artist to like be comfortable singing in front of people and you know I sort of have have all my years touring in an opera to thank for my I guess my sort of comfort in singing in front of people Mm. um I was on tour for very many years with Robert Lepage um, and we, we, I was in a production that was basically um, a modern version of the Beggar's Opera. Oh. So I was singing in it, I was DJing in it, I was acting in it. And it really sort of, it got me comfortable on a microphone, you know, mm. and even though I don't have, I'm not like Beyonce, <laughs> I don't have any <laughs> professional I don't have professional training, but I feel like I can, you know, I can still carry a tune 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just another instrument in my, it's just another, how, what's the word again? It's another uh, arrow in my quiver. Quiver. Yes, that's it. Wow. Yeah. Well, without you, it's great. And it's great as a first single for uh, Sagittarius. And the album itself was pretty dope because, like, I'm listening to everything. I'm like, Okay, okay, okay. And then the scratching comes and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you singing without you. It's like this whole uh yeah, kind of having a conversation with the audience, with everybody listening to this record. Um, this is your first one as an artist on the label. What would be the difference between something like Reckless that you do yourself, all independent, and and uh Sagittarius, which now is with the backing of a record label? Um, huge difference. I think I definitely needed to go through the experience of releasing a project on my own uh, first. Um, so I have three. Uh, so Dade was the first record. It's actually a full length um, LP, which I never officially put out because it had samples on it that were copyright protected and I didn't really. I wasn't considering that at the time. I didn't think it would be an issue, but of course it was an issue. So you can get that record on my website, but I never really advertised for it. So that was learning experience number one. Um, so I said, okay, the next record I create, um, I, I knew I had to put out music myself for a label to even be interested in me because they have to know that you can you know, create a project and see it through. Mm -hmm. um, so my second record, I said, okay, I won't have any issues with sample clearance because it's going to be all original stuff. Um, I'm going to collaborate with other artists and MCs to really, you know, <laughs> make it a success and, and bring other talent on board. Mm -hmm. um, and so I managed to next step, release something on my own, figure out how to do that. Um, you know, how do I market this myself? How do I like find a digital distributor? Um, who do I go to for to photos? You know, what's my cover going to look like? What's the artwork going to be? Like mm. you have to think of everything. Mm. Um, and there were certain things that I did well. I was able to get my music out on the platform but I didn't have a team. I didn't have a, a like PR or marketing behind me. So I have a huge Excel spreadsheet of all the radio stations that I contacted myself to see if they would play my music. Um, I don't know how much traction that got me because I don't have the, you know, the ability myself to, to track uh, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so in a way it was a success for me because I, I was able to get something out there on Spotify, on Apple music. Um, but it wasn't a success in the way I ultimately would have wanted because I didn't have enough eyeballs on it. I didn't know how to bring people to it properly and, and push it in the way I really wanted it to. Mm. And so working with a label now, I do have, all of those things at my fingertips. Um, and I do have the support of Universal Music 
Canada um, that is helping to promote the music. I do have uh, mm. a PR company now, Listen Harder, and they're working their angle to put out press releases and um, and advertise uh, for the, the new music. And I do have a team of people now, you know, putting packages together and we're going to try to get these songs licensed. And um, so it's, it's really like a machine, you know, and there's only mm. so much you can do as one person, as opposed to having a bunch of people behind you um, to help yeah. push your project forward. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about that, it's been friend- 25 years. yeah talking of that a friend of mine made a documentary about uh women identifying folks in the music industry and how like the number of female producers is like really really small even though the number of female artists is really really high and it's something that you know you don't really think of unless you see something like that and i'm wondering you've been here in like especially this type of music you make working with turntables being a dj like and you've had this decades of experience uh what would you say is the difficulty about you know getting more female identifying folks on the producing side of things? Well, of course, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges for women has been because it's been such a male-dominated industry. And um, even from some of the female students I've had, I think a lot of them feel intimidated. Um to even you know approach anybody in the industry like even if it's there's even if it's something they're interested in not everybody has the the confidence you know especially when they're starting out to ask questions or to to find out more so Mm. um i think you know it's it all comes down to representation and it's a bit of a chicken and the egg in a sense that we need more uh, female identifying producers in the industry to make it more of a welcoming space for other female artists to, to come in and, and to, you know, and to do it. Mm. Um, I'm actually part of uh, the music publishers, Canada, um, women in the studio program which has been going on for the last six months now and um and i've had the opportunity to meet nine other amazing uh female producers from across canada through this program Mm. and um it's it's a great experience because they have uh given us opportunities to uh you know, speak with other people in the industry to learn as producers, you know, mm. certain skills and um, and just to get more insight, you know. So it's definitely we're still working on it. We're still trying to break that glass ceiling. Mm. Um, and I would encourage anybody who is interested, like, not to not to be shy and 
it's okay to ask questions and it's okay not to know things. I certainly am still learning, as you know, so I just, I've become used to asking questions and not feeling bad about it. <laughs> mm, mm. Wow. Uh, you know, this, it's, it's great talking to you. I don't want it to end, but I, I really have to let you go again. Congrats on your deal and, and Sagittarius. I really, really love it. Um, you shot the video for without you daughter day. Uh, how soon is it going to be released? So we're, we're, I'm hoping to get a final version, um, within the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, it should be released shortly thereafter. So I'll definitely like blast it on all my social media channels um, for anybody who wants to know more. Um, I'm on Instagram at DJ underscore Kilojoule. I'm on Facebook, DJ Kilojoule um, and uh, Kilojoule.com. You can find everything uh everything you need and um yeah check out sagittarius uh playing on all platforms um and thank you so much for having me this has been oh no i have one last question yeah. before i let you go though um yeah. here here it, here it is you've you've done this you followed your passion like lucky you you found this thing that you want to do for the rest of your life right you've done it for years and years now sagittarius is out you know, you're definitely promoting it. But what are some plans you have for the next couple of years? Next couple of years, um, I would love to be focused on touring. Um, I know, you know, the world is still opening up, but it's essential that when you release new music that you go out and you play it live for people and, and you have a show. And it's always also been a dream of mine to create a show with live visuals um, and I'm working alongside a friend of mine, the amazingly talented Murad Benasser, and he's also a turntablist, but he, he's um, an, an amazing uh, sort of video, I'm not going to say this properly, um, visual artist. <laughs> And he, he created some pretty cool stuff for my record launch. And I'm hoping that we could further develop our ideas, uh, you know, over the coming months so that when I'm ready to tour, um, we just create like a cool live experience for the audience. So mm. that's the plan. Awesome. Man, DJ Killer Grill, thank you so much for sharing. And once you open your thing, let me know because I really want to learn. I, I should actually start saving up to get like the Serato and those things I need to get because like yeah. I really think that's one of the things I want to do for next year. Uh, but again, thanks for coming to the sanctuary and thanks for sharing so much of yourself. Thank you so, so much. It was great talking with you, Israel.